The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Siebel, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. We are very fortunate to have uh, with us today New York Times. Times columnist Suleika Jawad and Huffington Post deputy blog editor Seamus McKiernan, two hot young guns in journalism today. I like to think of them as sort of a uh, modern-day Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell from the classic movie His Girl Friday. Uh, this modern uh, media power couple is really breaking ground. They're having a real impact on the lives of young adults facing cancer and increasingly young people with a variety of, of, of chronic medical conditions who are really able to relate to the cancer experience. Um, just about a year ago, I had the pleasure of having Suleika on the show. Uh, we had a really insightful conversation with her about her experiences as a young adult with cancer, a group that often really feels kind of orphaned between pediatric care, which they've clearly outgrown, and adult care, which tends to be skewed towards a much, uh, you know, really much older population. We, we also talked quite a bit about the, the, the healing power of writing, um, what inspired her to begin uh, blogging and the impact it had on herself and, and uh, on others. And today we are uh, fortunate also to be joined by her boyfriend, Seamus. We're going to take a look at the power of writing, how the Internet has changed the playing field in media and really created a community where um, uh, before there was isolation. Let me tell you about Suleika. She's an Emmy Award-winning journalist, blogger, health advocate, and cancer survivor. She is the author of the award-winning New York, New York Times Well column, Life Interrupted, where she chronicles her experiences as a young woman living with cancer. At age 22, just months after moving to Paris to start her first full-time job after graduating from college as a paralegal, Suleika was diagnosed with acute myeloid uh, leukemia and uh, myodysplastic syndrome, which is a rare uh, blood disorder. And while her friends and classmates are really facing typical postgraduate decisions like what job offer to accept, which graduate program to apply for, whether or not to go on a second date, things like that. Zuleika suddenly found herself dealing with the, the very adult issues of mortality, uh, infertility, coordinating medical care. Um, she went from establishing her independence to re- relying more and more on her parents, which was also challenging. Um, and it was really in the midst of this that uh, she turned to writing, and we're going to hear a bit about that. So welcome to the show, Zuleika. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, Seamus is deputy blog editor at the Huffington Post. He is the co-founder of Generation Y, 
which highlights the stories of young adults overcoming disease. And the, he is the co-founder of a new project, which we'll hear about, called All Work, No Pay, which focuses on poverty and inequality in America. He lives in New York City, where you uh, might find him in a dog park. Hi, Seamus. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate you guys joining. Um, I have a lot I want to cover, so um, let's jump in. Um, so, like, I, I, I'm going to start with you. I think that most people would think that dealing with the consequences of a, of a cancer diagnosis, the, import, uh, the appointments, the tests, the waiting, the treatments, all of that would sort of extinguish one's instinct or desire to start anything new. But you pretty much went straight to work writing your blog when you were diagnosed. So, so just how soon after your blog uh, did you begin and why, and, and why was that the medium that you turned to? Sure. So I've wanted to be a writer for as long as I can remember. Uh, but saying that you want to be a writer when you grow up almost feels like uh, you're saying you want to be an NBA basketball player or a prima ballerina <laughs> in the New York City Ballet. It's not always as realistic or as feasible as it might seem. Uh, when I graduated from college, I was 21 years old. I had just accepted a job as a paralegal in Paris, and I was trying to figure out how to both pay the bills but to focus on the creative projects uh, that I wanted to do. And in the spring of 2011, I thought I had gotten what was going to be my big break. Um, I had potentially gotten a job as a stringer, uh, to report on the revolution taking place in my father's homeland, Tunisia. And about two weeks later, I started to get really sick. Uh, yeah. Fast forward one month, I had lost my job, my apartment, and I moved back home to upstate New York uh, into my childhood bedroom to start cancer treatment. And all writing dreams just seemed dashed at the time. I was in isolation in a hospital room for several weeks. And during that time, it seemed impossible uh, to even begin to imagine how I might work or how I might um, find a topic to write about within the four walls of my hospital room. I had always thought of myself as someone who would tell other people's stories and I think that cancer specifically isn't something that makes you want to share. It's something that makes you want to hide and retreat within yourself. Yeah. Uh, so in some ways, very counterintuitively, I started doing what I'd always loved to do. Um, and I started reporting just for myself in journals uh, from the front lines of my hospital room, uh, not on any foreign revolutions that were taking place abroad, but on the revolution taking place inside of me. Wow, that's really a, a, a powerful perspective, and, and um, I think a, you know just a, a, a unique way, really, of dealing with the uh, of dealing with the diagnosis. But really, obviously, came from a very kind of long-standing and deep place from from uh, from inside of you. Um, I, I want to ask you how you came up with the uh, with the name "Life Life Interrupted." It's a fantastic title. I think it really captures the idea that there's a you know. There's a point of, of sort of demarcation in, in one's life when you're when you're diagnosed with cancer. Um, so tell us about you know did that sort of just spring forward naturally and 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 uh, you know tell us about that and and um, I, I I'd also like to ask you just to follow on so like you know tell us about tell us about what you know about your readers um, you know who, you know who are your readers who's following you you know what do you know about them what are they sharing with you. The name of my column is Life Interrupted because that's what it feels like to have your life interrupted 
by cancer at such a young age. Uh, from my very first week in the hospital, it became clear to me that young adults are misunderstood and overlooked part of the cancer equation. And as I started to look around online and at my local Barnes and Nobles for books or anecdotes or blogs that I might be able to relate to, I found very little. A lot of the books that I came across were written from people who are much older than me or from the perspective of a, of a survivor who had been done with their cancer treatment for many, many years. Uh, I wanted to hear something uncensored and useful and raw and funny uh, that uh, there's a great quote from a journalist that I love, Amy Goodman, who says that the job of a journalist is to go where the silence is. Um, and in my work and within Life Interrupted, I tried in my own small way to go where the silence is and to talk about topics that are taboo or that are often covered in the media, like infertility, uh, clinical trials, the social awkwardness of cancer, and to really pull the drapes back on the experience, but to also highlight uh, the ways in which living with cancer in your 20s is, is unique, both uh, from a medical perspective and from a social perspective. As far as my readers, it's been interesting because um, when I first started writing, I thought that my column might be of interest to other young people who uh, were dealing with cancer or other life-threatening chronic illnesses. And what surprised me is how many perfectly healthy young women and men in their 20s and 30s read my column. And I think the reason for that is, um, is that life interrupted is a very universal concept. Mm. My life happened to be interrupted by cancer, uh, but we deal with interruptions every day, whether it's the death of a parent, a bad breakup, unemployment. Um, but what I've learned is it's not necessarily focusing on the interruption that allows you to move past, but it's really finding creative ways uh, to cope and learn from and grow beyond that interruption. So that's really the message that I've tried to share with my viewers, mm -hmm. whether they're dealing with mm -hmm. cancer or they're perfectly healthy. Yeah. Seamus, let me pull you in here. Um, I, I just want to hear about your work at the Huffington Post and really what, what, what sort of led you to believe that an entire section of the Huffington Post should and could be successfully dedicated to young people with chronic illnesses. Sure. Well, there's a number of answers because it's a really exciting time to be an editor at a place like the Huffington Post. It's one of the most trafficked sites in news on the Internet, but it's, but it's doing different things than a newspaper would have done a couple of decades ago. And the blog section is um, comprises some of the most words on the site, and it's all opinion and commentary by people who are everyone from experts to sort of everyday people. And so I was already an editor at the Huffington Post, and when Suleika was diagnosed, um, it dawned on me that this is the perfect union of of this powerful blogging platform and something, as Suleika said, that's not talked about and it's misunderstood. After all, we think about, we don't like to read about sad stories all the time, and we don't like to read about things that make us uncomfortable. But at the same time, things like cancer are so important um, to the people who 
are affected by them and and for related subjects, everything from the the massive health care debate that we had in the last few years in the country. Yeah. So actually what I did was kind of knock on the door of Ariana Huffington's office, who I know um, and have gotten to know, and kept saying, this is important, this is important. And, and she and other editors... Um, listened and now they believe it's it's an important part of our DNA here to give voice to to young people with cancer. It's really really powerful stuff, Seamus. Um I um I just want to quickly we've just got a minute or so till the break here, but um uh, uh I know that we you know our, some of our some, uh, some folks have gotten to know you through Suleika's columns and video blogs. You even helped her complete her column a few times when her cancer treatment made her you know, made her pretty weak. You said that was sort of a life-interrupted moment for you, too. Can you explain that? Life-interrupted is very powerful, and I didn't realize all the meanings it could take on. I had to actually live them. So experientially, I learned a lot of things. And one thing that took me out of surprise was that I my life was being interrupted, and I it was taking an emotional toll on me to see like someone I love to go through this and we have this image of a powerful caregiver or a partner or boyfriend but the truth is it's a little of all things and it's a little uh, fear and weakness and strength and these kind of image of a rock that we have and all these things are wrapped up in it so it was it was difficult uh, to be there it was difficult to go to work and try to still see my friends and family and seek out yeah. support um, but so I found that, and I think that's a powerful lesson for other caregivers, especially, is that this is um, a disease affects a whole family and a whole network. Yeah, I mean that's certainly a message that we carry here at the, the cancer support community. I agree, very powerful. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Um, we are talking to uh, Suleika Jawad. Uh, New York Times columnist and Huffington Post deputy blog editor Seamus McKiernan. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We've got a lot more to talk about, and we will be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. 
Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene and Azai. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about the power of writing. Uh, with us are Suleika Juad and Seamus McKiernan. Suleika is a, an Emmy award-winning journalist, and that was an exciting, uh, exciting moment when we learned of your Emmy, uh, Suleika. She's a blogger, a health advocate, a cancer survivor, and she's the author of the New York Times Well column, Life Interrupted, where she chronicles her experiences as a young woman living with cancer. And Seamus is deputy blog editor of Special Projects at the Huffington Post. He's co-founder of Generation Y, uh, a HuffPost uh, project that highlights the voices of young adults with uh, chronic disease. He's also the co-founder of a new project, which we're going to hear about, called All Work, No Pay, which focuses on poverty and inequality uh, in America. Uh, there's, a, there, there's a quote that I, that I like by Joseph Conrad that I think gets to the heart of our discussion today. It says, uh, quote, my task, which I am trying to achieve, it's by the power of the written word to make you hear, to make you feel. It is, before all, to make you see. Um, uh, Seamus, would you, yeah, would you agree with that quote? Would you say it's a, you know, it's a good description of your mission as a, as a writer and, and uh, you know, as, as an editor? What's the, maybe you could talk just a little bit about the, the essence of, uh, of what you're communicating there. I do, and I like Joseph Conrad. Um, there's a lot of I think we're in a sharing time, a sharing economy in the news world, and I feel like I'm at right at right at the center of it. And so when I started Generation Y, which is part of our healthy living section, it was a new thing, but it was part of an ecosystem that already existed, which is people pouring their ideas and commentary and life narratives onto the internet. And for the Huffington Post, it was a pretty big platform and all centralized in in one place. So once we got it all set up, it was about a year ago, um, 13 or 14 months ago when it launched Generation Y, W-H-Y, because it's millennials and young people talking about why 
specifically cancer, but why these things, these setbacks happen in life. And of course, I borrowed a lot of inspiration and idea from Suleika's experience with cancer and from her Life Interrupted blog, because in a sense, I wanted to expand Life Interrupted to all young people and hopefully to different sorts of setbacks and diseases. Well, so, uh, you know, Seamus, I think it would be interesting to just spend a moment or two talking about sort of the, the, the Internet as this new medium. And, and, you know, it certainly made it easy for people to, 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 to put their story out there um, and uh, maybe encourage people to write. And now, um, you know, as Salik was saying, you know, saying I want to be a great writer is like saying I want to, you know, I want to go to the moon or be an, <laughs> be an astronaut. Or, but now I think, you know, some ways some, some folks might think, well, everybody thinks they're a writer now. But really, you know, as an editor in, in your role, what, what what you know? What makes a piece piece of writing stand out for you? I know you're you're really encouraging people to write and to find their voice, but but what what makes a piece really stand out for you? Because that that's the business that you're in. Well, that Conrad quote that you mentioned talks about making you see something or yeah. feel something that you that you hadn't heard before. So one thing I think mentioned off the top is make it authentic and and use your own voice. Don't try to write like someone else or tell someone else's story. And that sounds uh, generalized as it is, but that's actually at the at the center of what makes a blog or something on the internet shoot off the page. And we see with viral content that you know it when you see it. You know something that's coming from the heart. So that's one. If you can put something in a way that someone else hasn't, if you, which Suleika and I talk about all the time, we talk about things like overused metaphors in cancer, militarized language like battling, and mm-hmm. those things are interesting to talk about, but the, the reason that a lot of people in the cancer community are put off by that somewhat, but it's certainly a rich debate to have, is that those are overused, and we know that in writing, overused things lose meaning and um so I find that all the time that I'm just blown away by people who are telling something that's fairly normal in a new way. After all, one of the, disease, health, these kinds of things are the most universal things in life. So we we might say we have nothing new to say about it. But after all, putting it in a way uh that we can that we can relate to and say, "Aha, I feel that thing." And that's pretty profound. Yeah. I I know um I know on the Generation Y blog, you know, it's for for people with a range of chronic conditions. But there, you know, there's a lot in there about about cancer. Um, do you have a sense of why that might be? I mean, do you think it's a more, you know, intense experience? Do you think it's it's, um, uh, you know, something that people think that more people will respond to, or you know, why are those the folks sharing sharing uh, more? Do you think? There's one practical answer, which is I did a lot of the recruiting of people and, and kind of outreach, and those are I found a lot of stories about cancer. Mm-hmm. But there's a larger issue um, that's kind of a theory of mine, um, which I've learned through being at Sioux Lake aside through her cancer experience, is I think cancer is especially hard to talk about and it's taboo, and so and yet I think people are kind of waiting to share their stories and hoping that they can see mirrored in someone else on the page some parts of their story. Yeah. So that's so powerful. So at once, it's people, 
at the same time, people are afraid to share and yearning to read and share about this thing. After all, cancer is not something you bring up at a cocktail party, right? Right, And so right. this is part of the counterintuitive nature of, of an approach that Suleika is taking, sharing yes. about her cancer and, yes. and what I'm trying to do here. Got it. So, like, it sounds like Oscar's trying to get Oscar's her dog's name, right? Sounds yes. like he's trying to get in on the conversation here. He is. He is. He's an aspiring blogger in his own barky <laughs> ways. Uh, um, yeah. So, like, I'm sure that a lot of folks would 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 love to sort of ask you, um, how do you decide what you're gonna, you know, what you're gonna write about? I mean, what what's the, you know, what's the, uh, you know, what is there a process for that? Is it scientific? Do you have a whole list of topics and you're just trying to trying to get to them? And have you found that through, through your experience? that that's, you know, what inspires a topic has sort of changed over time? It's certainly changed over time. And I apologize if you hear any yodeling in the background. That's my one-year-old rescue dog in the background um, <laughs> trying, trying to jump in. Uh, but the way, that, the way that I write has changed as I've evolved and grown as a writer. When I first started Life Interrupted in the New York Times, I had never published anything before. I never shared anything publicly um, and I, uh, my column came out the second day, uh, that I was in the bone marrow transplant unit at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, preparing to undergo this incredibly intense, grueling and risky procedure. Uh, so just in terms of where I was then and where I am now, uh, I think what I was writing about at the time were things that were happening to me in real time. Uh, the loss of my hair, the loss of my fertility, um, all of these topics that I was living day to day. Uh, but as my platform has grown and as I've gotten stronger and healthier, I've had the incredible opportunity of traveling around the country and speaking everywhere from medical schools to hospitals to wellness centers. And the thing that I love most about speaking, although I'm completely terrified of public speaking, is getting to meet my readers face to face and so much of the inspiration uh, for the writing that I'm doing now comes from those interactions or comes from those Q and a sessions where I get to hear what other people want, um, want to know more about. And, and so has, so tell us how from, from kind of when you started this to now, how your sort of, you know, your process has, has, uh, you know, has evolved and, and, you know, are, is the reader feedback kind of, you know, pushing topics forward or are, you know, do you look for sort of themes that readers are commenting on or interested in to, you know, kind of push through to new topics? You know, what's, what's your sort of process there? Hmm. I think that as a young writer and as a very new and green writer, I was trying to write these really big columns in the beginning. I would take, I would try and chew off a really big topic. And one of the best pieces of advice that my editor, Tara Parker Pope, gave me is start with a small anecdote, something that happened in your day, something that happened as you were walking the dog. And use that little opening to branch out into bigger subjects, but don't try and start big and then narrow down. Um, so in terms of my writing process, I feel like it flows so much more easily. I do a lot less overthinking and just more expressing. I write first and I edit later instead of self-censoring before I even put pen to paper. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been, it's been very different as for, getting feedback from, uh, from writers, I've 
sought that out. Uh, sometimes on my Facebook page, I will ask my readers, what do you want me to write about this week? Mm-hmm. And, um, and the amazing thing about something like cancer is even though it's so difficult to talk about, and even though it can feel so incredibly isolating, the themes that come up are so universal. Uh, so when a reader tells me, well, I feel like I had post-traumatic stress disorder in a way after my cancer treatment, that's something that I can really relate to, even if we had very different types of cancers and even if we're in very, uh, even if we're, we're in different age groups. Um, so it's always interesting to hear about someone else's experience and to try and relate that back, not only to my own, but to a, um, to a broader, a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you are really having really an ongoing level of interaction with the folks who are who are following you. I mean, that, that, that kind of connection and relationship sounds like it's really important to you. Absolutely. I think it's been the highlight of writing for me. Um, the highlight of writing for me has been reading the comments section and hearing other people's stories and learning from them and being inspired by them. But also, in a lot of situations... Um, having these online interactions that turn into real life friendships. Uh, I have a group of uh, about four young women who are all in cancer treatment and all in their twenties and they've become my sisters. Uh, Mm. And I've written columns that have, uh, that are centered around conversations that we've had at our girls night out. Mm. Um, And to me, that's the most powerful Stuff. Yeah, because right? it's that an extension. Those, those an extension. Yeah, and an extension of that real life experience. It sounds like, um, which is uh, which is really powerful. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today really about the uh, you know the power of the pen, or maybe it's the power of the keyboard <laughs> in uh, uh, in our in our modern age. Um, uh, we have a lot more to cover. We're having a great conversation. We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We will be right back. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Genentech and Morphotech. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today, I'm joined by Suleika Jawad and Seamus McKiernan, and we're talking about the power of writing. Suleika is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, blogger, health advocate, and cancer survivor. She's the author of the New York Times' Well Column, Life Interrupted, where she chronicles her experiences as a young woman living with cancer. Seamus is deputy blog editor at the Huffington Post and the co-founder of Generation Y, W-H-Y, which highlights the the stories of young adults overcoming uh, disease. Um, Seamus, you, you said that we're living really in the age of uh, in the age of sharing. Do you mean on a on a personal level, uh, you know, on on a public one, uh, or both? I mean, this is to me, it's uh, you know, this is such a it, it is interesting to think about sharing about you know such personal issues that we're we're talking about. And I know that uh, you know that Salika's blog and 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 the one that uh, that you're running as well is really inspire people to open up and, you know, and, and share in some different ways. And, um, you know, what, what, tell, comment on that for me, Seamus, and tell me what you, what you think about sort of the, you know, the impact of that and how that's sort of shifting the, the journalism experience. Yeah, the tools that the Internet has brought and that our smartphones bring have, have changed so much about how we interact. But I also, we have this myth that technology fundamentally changes things, and I also think that's not true. So an example of that is I think that this is one of the oldest questions. I is being diagnosed with a disease or not knowing what's happening with your mind or your body and needing to make sense of it. So doctors help us so much and always have make sense of this, but we've always had a need for outlets, whether it's family, friends, or our community to talk about this. There's just I can't overstate the power of seeing on a on a page or seeing hearing someone's voice say I feel like this and you and you hear that and say I can relate to that. So that's like medicine in a way. So actually, you know, I think of that this is a small part of uh, at the Huffington Post Generation Y of a larger discussion that's happening and needs to happen about about healthcare, but. It's it's just so powerful to be able to share and and the the tools at Generation Y. I just I just think we're kind of leading the way there, and Sulek has really given us the platform to kind of jump into that in a credible way. People say, "Oh, you're Sulek's boyfriend, and you're starting this. I want to be part of this." Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I'd like to talk about with both of you for a, a, a minute in that context is, uh, you know, one of our producers found this quote, which I think it, it kind of got me thinking about the, um, you know, we've talked about really some of the benefits of these mediums and modes of communication, but there are some potential perils as well. I think um, the quote says, words uh, are like eggs dropped from great heights. You can no more call them back than ignore the mess they leave when they fall. Um, and I, you know, it, it, I guess it, 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 that provokes me to think about two things that I'd like you to weigh in on. And so, Lake, I'll start with you. Number one, again, dealing with some very private things that are, you know, sort of being packaged for, for public consumption. So my first question would be, is there a line 
that shouldn't be crossed, number one. And then number two, I also feel like in this sort of fast-paced, uh, you know, Internet media, digital media environment that, that you know, are we losing the, uh, are we losing the, the, uh, the, the fact-checking? Are we losing the research? Are we losing, you know, the, um, you know, sort of those old sort of, you know, the, the, you know, the basis for journalism and checking, you know, checking sources, checking quotes, checking all of that. Have we, you know, moved into kind of a dangerous place where we're losing, you know, some of that depth? So um, I know it's a lot. That's a big, big question. But um, Sulek, and maybe I'll ask you to start, and Seamus, maybe you can weigh in. I think that in this age of smartphones and digital media, uh, when we say the word sharing, we make the mistake of assuming uh, that to share, you have to share on the internet. To me, there's a very important uh, distinction between sharing privately and sharing publicly. I think that finding an outlet for the emotions that you're experiencing and the things that you're living through when you're dealing with cancer is very important. But that sharing can take place privately within a journal, if that's what feels most comfortable to you. Um, for me, sharing online has been an, an incredible source of uh, support and, and strength for me. Uh, but I think that type of public sharing is not for everyone. Uh, one thing that's been important for me to remind myself is something that I call the 24 hour rule. Nowadays with Twitter and with Facebook and with WordPress blogs, you can write, type up a rant and publish it five minutes later if you want to. Um, in my own work, I give myself this 24 hour rule where I never publish anything until I've sat on it for 24 hours and thought, about it and waited to see if the next day I still feel comfortable and I've properly weighed the pros and cons of sharing a certain topic. Uh, but this is an ongoing conversation that I have all the time with Seamus because I'm not just writing about myself, but I'm writing about him and I'm writing about my family. And I think it's really important uh, to talk these things out and to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that you're respecting somebody's privacy. Right. Seamus. Yeah. I, I agree, and my role as an editor, I'm also a writer, but most of my day I've spent editing, and I try to keep in mind that this is this is really precious private information. So you so there's this tack you take as an editor of deciding what you have to get in the shoes of the writer and say, yeah. does this need to be published? Is this newsworthy? And Am I thinking in the best interest of both the readers and this writer? We see so much people get skewered on the Internet for sharing something, and some of it's fair and some of it's not fair. Yeah. To your question about quality of journalism, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I really agree. I think it's both the age of the blogger and the casual instant response to everything, which is powerful. But we might be in a Wild West period in that sense that yeah. you can respond, you can publish self-publish or even through big news sites, quite a lot of stuff that's, that doesn't get very many eyeballs on it. I actually think that monetizing really quality journalists costs a lot, uh, journalism costs money, fact-checkers cost money, and so we all kind of hope in the news business that there will be a, a good sustainable model, but I think what's missing is probably is probably really good quality journalism still, even in the age of, of bloggers, which is important too. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I've seen some things certainly 
uh, you know, on, on the Internet, some things spin out of control, you know, in certain cancer conversations that have been completely wrong, factually wrong, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I- inaccurate. And, and I, you know, sometimes I just wonder about the danger of that as a medium in terms of just misinforming um, people and, and um, you know, just tending to wonder sort of sometimes where's, uh, you know, where's the accountability. So um, I think, you know, these are certainly interesting questions to be, you know, debated, you know, by us or, or you know, or certainly by others who are, you know, more, more focused on, uh, focused on these issues. Um, One other thing that that yeah. just popped in my mind is we're talking about young people, but there's even a younger generation than than mine and Suleika's, of course, and they're using technology. They're native to it, and it's we're kind of, I think, on on either side. You know, we grew up without smartphones, and now we have them. One interesting thing that's happening there is there's a move toward uh, information that can be sent and then and then it disappears. So Snapchat is the kind of crude version of this where pictures uh, can't be saved. But a new thing called Whisper is messages that, and a lot of people are using them to share deeply personal uh, ideas or feelings. And I think it's a pushback against th- this idea that all of a sudden everything we put online has to be permanent forever. Yeah, that, no, that's interesting. That's an, that's an interesting point. Um, so, Lika, as you look, um, we've got a couple minutes till our break here. But as, as you look down the, you know, sort of down the runway here, and you think about your um, your blog, and and you know, what do you what do you sort of envision for the future of that? Um, but, you know, and but also, you know, you mentioned in the earlier part of our conversation that you've got some deeper, longer stuff inside of you, and and uh, are you finding an outlet, you know, for 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 some of that longer writing that seems to be in you? Mm. Well, it's incredible what a difference a year makes. I'm just reflecting back on the last time that I was on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And I listened back to that segment and even my voice sounded different. It was weaker (laughs) and softer. And I think one of the great things for me about writing this column is growing up um, with the column in a way. I started it when I was 22 years old. I'm 25 now. And so much has changed in my life, both as a writer, but also as a cancer patient. Um, Although I'm at a high risk of relapse, which means that I have to do one week of chemotherapy every three weeks, I'm incredibly grateful to be able to say that I'm finally cancer-free. And and that's changed my perspective, certainly, on, on my experience. When I started my column, there was so much uncertainty about the future. I couldn't make plans a few days into the future because I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, for the first time, I'm giving myself permission uh, to dream into the future and to think big and think long term. Um, so I'm just wrapping up. Uh, a book proposal for a memoir I'm writing, which will be in part about cancer, but um, mostly just about these quarter-life crises that we all have in our early Mm. 20s and the many different themes that come with that that don't necessarily have to do with cancer, but that just have to do with growing up and figuring out who you are and what you want to do. So I'm really excited uh, to be writing something totally different and longer mm. form and more conversational um, and less formal than maybe yeah. uh, the tone that I have to take in the New York Times. So yeah. that's been my passion project for the past few weeks, and I'm just so excited uh, to share it. 
Excellent. Well, I think you're giving everybody something to look forward to, that's for sure. Uh, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Millennium and Amgen. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about the power of writing with two top young journalists uh, in New York. Uh, we've got Suleika Juad and Seamus McKiernan. Um, Suleika's writing and much of the writing on uh, Generation Y is very personal. It really gives readers of all ages deep and clear insights on the author's experience, the good, the bad, the funny, the heartbreaking, the heartwarming. I think a perfect example is when uh, Suleika and Seamus ad- adopted their rescue dog, Oscar, and we were earlier hearing Oscar in the background wanting to weigh in uh, on the show. Um, uh, Suleika, uh, you know, I have to ask, we know that Oscar has a Twitter account. We know that uh, he's been on the Rachel Ray show. We know that Seamus is feeling a little bit of a, a third wheel sometimes between <laughs> between you and uh, uh, you and Oscar. Um, it's true. We asked about, we asked, it's true, right? I mean, so we asked about your followers. What do we know about Oscar's followers? Well, I think this is a question that's better suited for Seamus because I actually am not responsible for the Twitter account, and he now actually he now actually also has an Instagram account. Uh, my my best friend uh, was joking the other day that she needs to up her Twitter game because Oscar now has more followers than she does, uh, which is really upsetting to her. But Seamus, maybe you can you can tell us a little bit more about 
Oscar's readers. <laughs> sure, well, I'll give you a quick a quick taste of his Twitter. It's it's he's got a he's got kind of a strange sense of humor. For example, he says, "Dress for the job you want," which in my case is an ugly sweater model. And then there's a picture of him. <laughs> there's a picture of him wearing one of those um, kind of cringeworthy dog sweaters that all dog owners end up um, getting, even though they say they never will. <laughs> you know, the truth is that Oscar's been just a great thing for our lives. And when Tuleka was at her sickest and recovering, once it was safe um, for her to have a dog, he's just provided so much comfort. But I was surprised that he provided me something that I didn't expect. Um, I didn't think I was ready to have a dog, and it was a lot of work at the beginning. But we've kind of taken it and run, and we he's a part of our life now. So, Seamus, can you just tell us, uh, just take a quick moment to tell us about the um, the new project you're working on, All Work, No Pay? This is something I'm excited about. I think that poverty, unemployment, and also people who are employed but having feeling like they're just getting by paycheck to paycheck, which is millions and millions of Americans, is a story that comes in and out of the news. So it's part of the news when there's a bill on the floor about unemployment, and then it goes away. The truth is, since the recession, this has been the center of people's lives. So if regular people were able to tell the news, they would tell that story each day. Uh, The media makes choices about what to tell. So we're trying to do it. The Huffington Post is is keep bringing that story up. And so what I've done and what I've contributed to it, it also includes reported stories, is I've, I go around the Internet and I've put out a big reach to find people to write in their own voice what it's like to have a job, have a family, and still find it very hard to to make it. And one example is a single single mother who just made a list of all the expenses that she said she couldn't live without. And these are things like insurance, car insurance, gas money, diapers for her child, things that aren't vacations and luxury items. And it, it added up to a little bit more than she made each month. And that's that's a powerful way to tell that story. The connection to Generation Y is one I sort of vaguely thought of, but now it's becoming more clear, which is that disease and and economic hardship are connected. And we know that because, for example, bankruptcy, the number one cause of it is um, medical bills. That's so right. these things are connected. Yeah, they, 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 they absolutely are. And we certainly here at the cancer support community, you know, are talking on a regular basis about the economic impact of a, you know, of a cancer diagnosis. I talked to one patient recently and I said, you know, when in dealing with the finances of cancer, what advice would you, you know, what would you share with somebody about that? And she said, basically expect to go into debt. Because if you get cancer, I don't care if you have insurance, I don't care, you know, if you're kind of an average person in America who gets cancer, you're going to go into debt. So she's like, prepare yourself for debt. That was basically her best, you know, piece of advice. And I thought, well, that's, you know, pretty, pretty potent, uh, you know, pretty potent information to, um, to, to, to think about. Um, Suleika, you know, I know you believe in, in, you know, sort of the cathartic nature of writing, and that's, you know, something that's been really um, important to you. Uh, do, do you recommend, I mean, even for people who don't really have, you know, huge ambitions to reach millions of people through the Internet or be a journalist or uh, formally be, be a writer, do you think that, um, you know, in general for folks, that there is something cathartic and, and, and healing about that form of expression? Well, uh, you know, and writing is not for everyone. I think that finding 
an outlet to express yourself is incredibly important when you're going through so much upheaval. Uh, but beyond that, uh, looking for, for, uh, positives within these big overwhelming negatives that we're confronted with. Um, and for me, that was kind of finding my voice, pursuing and doing something that I'd always wanted to do, which is writing. And even though I wasn't doing it in the way that maybe I thought I would, and I wasn't traveling around the country or working as a war correspondent, even though I had to amend that dream, um, not, not, uh, letting cancer put my dreams on hold and, and finding a way to still be who I am and who I aspired to be, uh, within the confines of this really unfortunate experience. Um, I think we talk about cancer as a gift and I really disagree with that. Um, it's not something I would want from my birthday, like, Ooh, I I got cancer (laughs) this year for Christmas, but, and, and, you know, and it's a really terrible disease that, and I've seen it take, um, so many lives way too soon. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that there is a way, um, to empower yourself, uh, through these really difficult experiences and to relanguage the experience, which has been, uh, part of, uh, what's been so cathartic for me about writing is, it's making the first move and not letting cancer write my narrative, uh, but writing the narrative myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just quickly, Seamus, um, do you, uh, do you ever struggle with, uh, you know, obviously you're in a, in a role where you're kind of making, you know, business decisions, content, content decisions, but also it's obviously what you're, what you're working on is related to a very personal experience. Do you ever have to try to sort of consciously separate those two or do you think you need to separately, you know, separate those two or does one sort of, you know, influence or impact the other in, in, in a way that you think it should? It's a good question. I think editors and journalists have always benefited from knowing something more about a subject. So that really informs the same way that if you go to school and study um, the history of of East Asia, you're going to be better at perhaps reporting on that. But this is something that's personal, and it's not history, yeah. and it's not geopolitics. So I find myself certainly um, it's hard to read other young people who are writing about a similar experience because I was in those um, bone marrow transplant units wearing the garb you have to put on um, and face masks and and seeing someone I love go through something hard. So I find myself sometimes sure I feel a little emotionally burnt out by that. And I do a lot of other stuff at work that's not on that topic. So I think it's a good balance. But but there's no doubt that it, that it both informs it yeah. and is hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's only really only human nature that that would you know that that would be the case. And you know, all of our experiences certainly inform you know who we are and and uh, you know how we respond to certain situations. So um, I, I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show today. I feel like it's flown by. I feel like I wish we had a, another hour or two together. To, <laughs> you know, to keep talking. Um, I appreciate you telling us about the incredible work you're both doing. You know, we at the cancer support community believe that no one should face cancer alone. And, um, you know, your, your work is really, you know, you're working towards the same goal, shedding light, improving understanding, building community. And I do hope that you guys will come back and check in with us regularly and let us know uh, where your journey takes you. Um, I encourage everyone, uh, young, young and old, uh, to read life 
interrupted at NewYorkTimes.com and uh, Generation Y on the Huffington Post. Um, we appreciate you listening in to Frankly Speaking About Cancer today. I'm Kim Tebaldo. I just uh, want to let folks know at the Cancer Support Community, if you're facing a cancer diagnosis or you're the loved one of someone with cancer, uh, please please come and learn about the resources that we have at Cancer Support Community. You can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You can call our helpline at 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. We have fifty wonderful centers around the country where we provide support, education, and hope to people with all cancers at all stage of disease, and for their family members and loved ones. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.